So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Quite a passage. So, Father, we are vessels filled with your glory, at times cast down but never defeated. And you've destined us for victory always, not to be defeated. So today we will learn from the crucible. We will learn from the fire. We will learn from the rain. Holy Spirit, reveal truth to us so we are equipped for the victory you have. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Paul's describing the tremendous adversity that he and the early church were experiencing and coming through. So he targets the time of struggle like this. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. It's quite a contrast. He's sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing all things. Now, how can this be? How does that work? What Paul's describing is the wealth of riches in adversity. You will prosper in adversity. Sorrowful, but rejoicing. Poor, but making others rich. Having nothing, but possessing all things. Calvary Christian Center, this is prosperity that is born in adversity. And I hear in my spirit that it is our time. It's Calvary Christian Center's time to reap the prosperity of difficult times to see the blessings emerging that have come out of our adversity. Prosperity means to be successful, to be prosperous, to have good success. The term adversity here means misfortune, suffering, trouble. And I think of how we've been through those extremes in our lives. Seasons of prosperity, seasons of adversity. You have it in life. It's life. It's how you go through life. And if you haven't as yet encountered them, you will. Adversities. Wow. As a nation, we have spent over a decade at war. We've endured over five years of economic adversity. Simultaneously, we're facing the destruction of the foundations of this great nation. Civil rights are being trampled on. The master-servant relationship in our form of government has been reversed. We, the people should be the government of the land. Adversity. People have lost their homes by the hundreds of thousands. Millions are looking for steady and secure jobs. Many others 
have just flat given up looking for something steady. And now with the looming health care changes, employers are downsizing to avoid the high costs of providing health care benefits. Many lost their equity in their IRAs during this economic downswing. The housing industry has been through five years of depression. Many have struggled just to make it month to month. How do we get through this? There have been personal adversities in the lives of people. Others have lost family members, endured grief over losses in their immediate families. Some have walked through a valley of loneliness, divorce, and addiction, illness, and unexpected crisis. Everyone is familiar with adversity. Yet be encouraged because there's a pattern in the Word of God. It shows us that any time we are faced with difficulty, adversities, troubles, these will also be accompanied by prosperity. Prosperity is coming our way. That's the pattern of Scripture. I see a great awakening coming to individuals and to Calvary Christian Center, and I believe we're headed into days of great harvest as the flashpoint of the Holy Spirit. And God has already authorized a season of reaping of prosperity out of the trials that we've endured. So today is that day. The devil has had his way long enough. Troubles have had their way long enough. Listen to me. Tough times have had their way long enough. We're now entering the season where we get to reap because we have not fainted in the face of adversity. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. We've had seasons of sorrow. How many have endured sorrows in your life? But God has already turned the page, and he is opening a new chapter about a season of restoration. We're entering a season of reaping here at Calvary, and a season, season of reaping in individual lives. There was a little girl who was raised in New York, in Brooklyn, in one of those flats, Coldwater-type flats, impoverished ghetto. One night she awakened hearing rats running around in her room. And that's common. That's not uncommon there. Crawling over the bed and just scaring her. She closed her eyes that night and she prayed a little prayer and said, Lord, please get rid of the rats in my room. And it gets reduced to that. That's, not, that's nothing less than adversity. So she drifted back to sleep in peace. And she was calm for the rest of the night. When she awakened, there were no more of these scratching sounds she had heard that had awakened her earlier that night. And she immediately thought, well, I don't hear any rats at all. But then she heard, meow. God had sent a fat cat. Okay? And I'm saying we've been infested with aggravating rats and tormenting rats, and rats that have come to steal our joy and fill us with fear. But God has a fat tomcat, and he knows how to get rid of the rats out of our homes and out of our lives. Listen, there, this is a season of restoration. Out of adversity, God brings huge restoration. Listen to the promise he made. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood... I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety. All you prisoners who still have hope, 
I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Thank the Lord. God's on your side. You're going to make it. And if you won't quit, if you'll just let God, if you won't stop believing, you'll experience full restoration that comes from the Lord. So this prosperity and restoration coming on the heels of adversity reminds us of the pattern of Scripture. There is compensation in life. There are joys that come out of sorrow. There are some advances after there have been some setbacks. There are crowns as well as crosses. There are mercies as well as miseries. There are some loves in the middle of heartbreak. There's a divine appointment coming out of your disappointment. Compensations will be born out of your contradictions. So listen, my faith is bigger than it's ever been before. Because coming through adversity teaches us to lay ourselves down before the Lord. God wants us to begin harvesting this year out of a season of planting, a season of sowing, out of heat and cold, waiting and wondering, a harvest. Sometimes you need to stop crying. Sometimes you need a break in the clouds. Sometimes you need some good news. Sometimes you need something good to happen. Sometimes you need some encouragement. Sometimes you need a door to open. Sometimes you just need to get a phone call, and it's good news. Hear the word of the Lord for our day. It's coming your way. You've made it through the storm, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. How? Because we believe God is a restorer. He loves to restore. Read his word. He restores. How? We believe he's a restorer. And something is about to hit you and hit our church. And no matter if you comprehend this, absorb this or not, this is God's plan for us. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. The season of waiting will be many days. It has been many days. There will be a season when you you're in that long waiting after many days where you're on the, on the ledge and on the edge of losing it because you've been putting it out there. Listen, but if you'll keep casting your bread. Well, someone said, well, I cast my bread on the water and it came back soggy. Listen to me. You're the one I'm preaching to this morning. You just keep casting your bread on the waters. It's going to come back. It'll be a foot-long, double-deck, stuffed-with-meat sandwich, and you won't have to ask, where's the beef? Listen to me. You'll discover a God who's provided exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. It's time to reap where we have sowed. Time to harvest. Time to see restoration. We will be witnesses to a great awakening. So shake yourself loose from pride. Shake yourself loose from depression. Shake yourself loose from hopelessness. We serve the God of encouragement, and he is present with his people today. And he's saying, I've seen your tears. I've observed your sorrow. Now get ready for prosperity, for restoration after the trial, after the season of adversity. And today, if you're still standing after the battles, you will have learned to give him praise because there is blessing even through your adversity. Isaiah reminded us, 
But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And those who do what? Wait on the Lord. Wow. Some have waited months. Some have waited several years. Some have waited a decade. Years of adversity. Years of tests, trials, and battles. I'm telling you, the season is changing. Yes. Something's about to happen for those who have waited on the Lord, who have not quit believing, who have not quit serving. Those who have trusted Him with all their hearts, there will be a reaping of restoration in your life. Some quote the following verse to a sinner, but actually this has been written to the church. This is written to saints. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's written to the body of Christ. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who, who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Everybody say, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap. If we do not lose heart. Heart. It's the difference on the playing field between a winner and a loser. It's the difference between one who stays mediocre and the one who achieves greatness. It's the difference between that person in that game who decides that no matter what, I'm going to get that extra inch of yardage. It's a lesson taught very early in my life. It's all about your heart. In due season, that means today. I hear the sound of restoration coming for those who will not quit. And I will enjoy what will come out of that time of season of adversity. I'm going to get to enjoy the flavor and the produce that comes from that. I will walk in the prosperity and the restoration of the season of blessing. I'm not just speaking about material things. I'm speaking about the grace of God, the restored joy, the quickening in your outlook, the renewal of your strength, your renewed youth, your restored vision, your restored dreams. God will bring about a restoration born out of adversity. And he will never leave us nor forsake us in our adversity. Now watch. Isaiah went on to say, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. If you keep lifting Jesus up, following on that will come prosperity. The standard that comes out of trials. When our national anthem was penned, it had been a long night in the harbor in Delaware, and the smoke blackened the skies. And Francis Scott Key waited for the dawn to come and the smoke to clear, and there saw our tattered flag. The standard. That's what the standard is. Flying. Still flying. When we lift up that standard, folks, listen, the devil is at work, but the standard is still flying. 
The flag is still unfurled and flowing in the breeze of the Spirit. I don't deny the fact that there is adversity. Some greatest, the greatest things in your life are going to be born out of that. Because, listen, the devil has a Cain for every Abel. He has an Ishmael for every Isaac. He has a lion's den for every Daniel. He has a fiery furnace for every Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has a Herod for every John the Baptist. He has an Antichrist for the living Christ. He has an Esau for every Jacob. And I'm here to say, if you're fighting those circumstances in your life, they will be followed by a season of restoration. And if we, if we let God, he will take the weapons of the devil and use them on him. And I think it's time we learn to do that. The word says that David grabbed the great immense sword of Goliath after he felled him with that smooth stone and removed his head with his own sword. The devil's number one weapon was death. He said, if I can get to use my best weapon against Jesus, I'm going to get to defeat him. But God took the devil's number one weapon, and through death, Jesus conquered sin, conquered hell, conquered the grave. And the devil said, listen, in his resurrection, he has totally defeated that weapon. So the devil said, if I can find a champion who will persecute the church, I will stop the church. So he raised up a well-educated man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul killed Christians everywhere he went. He imprisoned them. He tormented them. But then God said, let me take the weapon of the devil and turn it on him. So Jesus knocks Saul off his horse while he's riding toward Damascus to persecute more Christians and changed that man's name to Paul. And Paul became the greatest apostle and writer of almost half of the New Testament. He's been, he, listen, he had been the devil's number one weapon. God took that weapon and turned it on the enemy. And that same enemy who has come against you, God can take hold of that weapon and turn it on the kingdom of hell, and you'll see your season change from trouble to blessing. Sometimes you've got to be brought low. The purpose is so that you can go higher. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. You'll hit bottom before you ever soar in the clouds. Zacchaeus was up in a tree, short of stature, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus commanded him to come down. So this proud man came down. And then Jesus walked back to him with, to his house, the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus walked out of his house a new creation. The man who was totally paralyzed in the New Testament was taken to the top of the roof, then lowered all the way down to the floor at the feet of Jesus. When he was so low that he was horizontally level with the feet of Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, Take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. But he had to get low before he could go higher. Peter said it like this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So let the adversity humble you. Let the adversity drive you to your knees. Let the adversity break up that cold, calloused heart until you weep again. Let the adversity drive you back to God's Word. 
Let the adversity cause you to humble yourself. And if you will humble yourself in due season, He will exalt you. You'll experience a season of restoration. I was listening to this song I heard several weeks ago. And and one of the verses says, an olive has to go through three stages for its oil to run. It has to go through the shaking, the beating, and the pressing. And she sings these words, if it had not been for the shaking, I never would have been ready for the making. If it had never been for the beating, I would have never known how anointed I would be. If it had not been for the pressing, I wouldn't be able to walk into my destiny. And she sings, I feel a shaking in the spirit. I feel a beating in the spirit. I feel a pressing in the spirit, preparing me for greater, for greater is coming. And I thought, wow, that really sums that up. Jacob endured some rough seasons of tests. He went through horrible places of adversity. The word reminds us that at one point he lost absolutely everything. He is on the run for his life from his brother Esau, who's out looking to kill him. And he wakes up one morning after working for seven years and finds out he's given the wrong daughter. Finally, to marry Rachel, he has to work seven more years, a total of 14 years for the woman he loved. Then his father-in-law turns on him. And there's further strife in the family. And he takes off. And Esau now has tracked him down. And he's coming with overwhelming forces to kill Jacob. And Jacob is meandering like a homeless person. As you see him in the word, Jacob made the ground his mattress and stones were his pillow. That's about as low as you can get. That's about as stripped away of everything that you can possibly be. That's adversity. Jacob comes out of that adversity, and he's looking back at what he's endured, and he makes a statement about these very bleak days. He's now living in blessing. He now is in possession of great herds and flocks. He and Esau have finally been restored. He's walking in restoration. All has been healed. There's unity and love back in his family. But looking back on what he's gone through, hear the perspective of Jacob. Nights he spent homeless. Nights he was on the run. Little provision. Listen to him. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Be encouraged today. If you've been in adversity, if you've been in a struggle, it's so easy to become negative. So easy to only see the pessimistic side of things. It's so easy to complain, easy to quit when things don't go the way you think they should. It's like the bumper sticker I saw. How, when I've been blessed so much, how can I complain? You can't. Jacob didn't realize it immediately, but when he looked again, surely the presence of the Lord was with me in my adversity, and I didn't recognize it. Yet today, I'm reaping the prosperity out of the season of my troubles. So don't allow the enemy to blind your eyes to the wealth coming out of your adversity. Because he wants you to focus on the negative and what you've lost. I'm saying to you, we're living in an hour when Satan wants to rob you, take everything you've got, get you to give up quickly. 
And this is why Satan wanted the body of Moses in the Scripture. Satan comes to earth, and he contends with Michael the archangel for the body of Moses after he dies. God just take him up the mountainside and laid Moses to rest. And Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. And what was that dispute over? Why did Satan want Moses' body? Because Satan can sense when the season is changing and God's about to restore blessing. Moses hadn't gotten to go into the promised land, but he wanted to snatch that body of Moses because he knew there was going to come a day on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus would be glorified and Elijah would be on the one side and Moses was going to make an appearance with him in the promised land, in the middle of the land. That was promised to Israel. So the enemy wants you to give up in your adversity before you get to enter your season of restoration. David was anointed to be the king of Israel. Then King Saul attacks David, and he's relentless. Adversity comes to David. For 15 years, David lived in caves. For 15 years, David lived in poverty, being poor, having little, but possessing all things. Because David was anointed. And if you're anointed and you have the Holy Spirit, if you've got the promises of God for your purpose, do not focus only on your present season. Don't focus only on what you're dealing with right now. You will enter your season of restoration, leaving behind your season of adversity. Because it's a test. It's a trial. And sometimes it's just the devil. And you've got to ID him. It's just the devil. Parent, hear a lesson. Sometimes you take a stand in your home. And it's okay to look at your child and say, no. So there's a first for some of you. It's okay to look at your child and say, no. If you're a godly parent, you're not going to allow your child to run buck wild and do whatever they want to do. Okay? And you will be challenged by them when you take your stand. There are going to come some episodes between you and your children. So you get the Bible, not the pink girly Bible, but the big old black Bible that says, devil, you get out of my house. No devil's going to live like this. Uh-uh. No devil's going to work on my kids. So you command the spirit out of your house, and you look at your child and say, in this house, this is how it's going to be lived. David was anointed, but he went through hell. Now, why am I going through this, pastor? Because you're anointed. Because your children are anointed. And hell is after them doing everything he can to take away from them what God promised. They've got destiny. They've got assignment. God has a plan for their lives, and hell will come out after them. But stand there in the adversity, in the tears, in the heartbreak, and watch what God will do. He'll bring breakthrough out of your adversity. That's the God I know. That's the God I serve. And now look at David. 16 years later, after he's anointed to be king, he's not living in a cave any longer. 
He's sitting on the throne. He is the king of Israel. He's experiencing and reaping prosperity and breakthrough after years and years of trouble. Some of you hear this. After years of trouble comes your breakthrough. You don't give up. Listen, the enemy wants to destroy the generations of lineage in your house. You don't allow him to do that. You will stand between him and your family. I think of Job. Job experienced the breakthrough. It was after his trial, the prosperity that comes after adversity. Now, Job lived, of course, in the Middle East, and he was the wealthiest man of his day. He had more real estate than anybody. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. Yeah, camels are coming. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, thousands of employees, multiple residences, and 10 children. Job had everything. Then came this season of trouble. It was permitted by God. And while Job was in church, literally worshiping the Lord and offering sacrifices to God. See, some of you didn't have a problem until you came to church. It's like the enemy then painted a big old bullseye on you. And that's good. Huh? I said that's good. Why? Because Satan senses days of restoration breakthrough are coming to you. A new season is just ahead in your life. So Satan wants you to quit in the days of your adversity, to throw the towel in, to say, I'm done. The word says, one of Job's servants comes running in and he says, all have died. I and only I am alive to tell you the news. Now the devil will always be sure someone is alive, at least one to tell you his bad news. He said, I'm telling you, fire fell from heaven and and killed all 7,000 of your sheep. All of your servants are dead. All 10 of your children were killed by a tornado. You've lost everything. You got nothing. See, the enemy will always make sure he gets that one in your ear, parks that right there. He said, I'm sorry, you've lost all your oxen. The Chaldeans have attacked. They've stolen all your livestock. You're penniless. You have nothing left. So the word says that Job worshipped. He shaved his head. He tore his clothes. And Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Remember, be not weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you don't quit. Being sorrowful, yet rejoicing. And Job fulfilled that in the Old Testament because out of his mouth, the next sentence says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Having nothing but possessing all things. Job said, I'm in adversity, but my Redeemer lives. Breakthrough will come my way. And then comes that dramatic moment in Job, the 42nd chapter. It's a very powerful moment. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Remember? Double the blessing, he said. Zechariah's prophecy. God has a plan after the enemy has beaten you down. God has a plan after your adversity after the bankruptcy, after the divorce, after the layoff, 
after the depression, after the accident. God always has a breakthrough, a season of restoration after this, after the addiction, after the health challenge, after friends have walked away. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw the children, his children and grandchildren for four generations. God restored Job and gave him double. When Job entered the trial, he had 7,000 sheep. At the end of that trial, in that new day dawning, he had 14,000 sheep. When he entered the trial, he had 3,000 camels. When he came out, he had 6,000. I'm sure some fast dromedaries were in the middle of that as well. When he went into the trial, he had 500 yoke of oxen. When Job came out of the season of trial, he had 1,000 yoke of oxen. When he entered the test, he had 500 donkeys. When Job came out of the trial, he had 1,000 donkeys. You have got to decide, are you going to give up in your adversity? The next few weeks in your life are very important to Calvary Christian Center because the Holy Spirit is going to renew vision. He's going to restore dreams back into the hearts of his people. He's going to restore the years that the locusts and the worms have eaten away. But we're going to reap restoration and breakthrough. That's the promise of the Lord. So the question is, are you of faith or doubt? A pessimist or an optimist? An optimist sees the donut. The pessimist sees a hole. And some have allowed the negativity of your circumstance to sink and seep into the way you think. That's what comes out of you now. You don't see what Paul saw when he said, I'm sorrowful, but rejoicing. I've lost everything, but I possess all. How could he make that statement? He saw the donut, not the hole. There's a big difference. And we have experienced both seasons, adversity and the blessing of God. When Henry Ford was making his first automobile, he said there was a man who kept saying to him, they will never get it started. They will never get it started. Finally, they turned the engine over for the first time. It started. And the same man started saying, they will never stop it. They will never stop it. That's a pessimist, okay? Optimism is what the tea kettle does when it's up to its neck in hot water. Sings. There were two frogs that fell into a deep bowl of cream. One was an optimistic soul. The other took a gloomy view. We shall drown, he cried. On the last despairing cry... He flung up his legs and said goodbye. Croaked the other frog with a merry grin. I can't get out, but I can't give in. I'll just swim around until my strength is spent. Then I will die with more content. So bravely he swam until it was seen. His struggles began to turn into cream. On the top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he merrily hopped. The moral of this is easily found. If you can't get out, just keep on swimming around. 
What do you see today? That's been bad, Pastor. Probably not going to ever get any better. Okay. I might as well just die and go to heaven and get it over with. And that's how some people live out their life. I refuse to live like that. That's not God's way. That's not God's way. Every business person where the income has been down, business has been off, struggle after struggle after struggle. Listen to me. Get your faith toward the Lord. Yes, there's been adversity, but breakthrough is here. His restoration has come to the people of the Lord. And I'm declaring this to be a renewal of the blessing and the grace and the favor of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that means the church, in the church, the land of the living is the body of Christ. Everything else outside the body of Christ lives in the land of the dead. They're walking dead. But I declare the favor and goodness of God in the land of the living, in the body of Christ, the church. So somebody ought to pop up and say, thank you, Lord. No matter what, in adversity, in difficulty, yet rejoicing. Come on, bless the Lord. Honor the Lord. Lift your hands.